You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 310 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. I'm now starting to report on the series of wonderful people that I got to meet in Paris RB. First up is Andy Kroll. Andy is CTO at Coverage Book and Answer the Public. He is a Rubyist, conference organizer of Brighton Ruby, an author, speaker, bootstrapper, and twin dad. Thanks for joining me today, Andy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Andy, what is your developer origin story? Uh, developer origin story, right. So I have somewhat a classical nerd background, uh, computers as a small child, um, and then computer science at university. And then I took a job that uh, I thought was technical, but absolutely wasn't. I did four years of HR and communications for a big tech company. Um, and then I was getting super frustrated with that. And all the time I sort of kept up making websites for various stuff. And uh, I I quit that job to re-skill in sort of like the website side of things. And I started out in the front end sort of HTML, CSS. Uh, and then I discovered um, I discovered David Hanemeyer Hansen's uh, Make a Blog in 15 Minutes video and Basecamp and 37 Signals all around the same time in about 2007. Um, and I've sort of been doing Ruby Rails ever since. So you kind of touched upon it, but what is your specific experience with Ruby on Rails? Well, it's basically been my entire career for the last uh, decade and a bit, which makes me and my knees feel old. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... What was my experience? I've built various things, like my own stuff. Um, uh, currently um, working with a team in Brighton in the UK um, on Coverage Book and Answer the Public, which are two entirely separate uh, SaaS businesses run by a technical team of three and a wider team of nine. Um, and we have sort of 3,000 customers and we support them all with um, with two or three mainly two or three Rails apps and lots of other stuff um, around the edges, sort of the odd WordPress site, Jekyll. Uh, yeah, so lots and lots of Ruby, um, lots and lots of Rails, pretty much. Have you ever deviated from Ruby and Ruby on Rails? Have you tried other technical stacks or are you pretty focused on Rails? Have I strayed? Um, <laughs> I have I've played a little bit with our stuff. Um, of course, all of us have to write JavaScript, whether we want to or not. Um, Mostly not, depending on whether I'm maintaining my own JavaScript from however many years ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much I do a lot of front-end work in our team as well. So we have a designer on team um, and he does some front-end, um, but I'm sort of more focused on the performance and technical sides of those things. Um, I recently have built a WordPress blog for our, for our, um, for our marketing team, um, sort of replatforming from Medium. Uh, and yeah, that was uh, an entertaining exercise in the stuff I used to do when I was just doing front end. You know, I just wanted to make websites, um, and that was, that was the beauty of Ruby and Rails for me was very much finding a thing where I could make the computer do what I wanted, and then have it look nice as well. So uh, yeah, I, I've done a bit, but like mostly I try and work on problems that Ruby and Rails is a good fit for. So. I'm not building chat clients. I'm not building uh, super high traffic um, 
things at Twitter or Facebook scale. So, you know, for, the, for that world, any framework, you know, Laravel in PHP or Django in Python is great. I just happen to like Ruby. So that's where I've landed. That's fantastic. And we're so lucky to have you in our community. So not only are you a Ruby developer, you are also quite the conference organizer. And I'd love to hear the origin behind Brighton Ruby. Right, so Brighton Ruby. Uh, when does it start? It starts in 2009. I lived in Singapore for six years. Um, my sort of initial uh, Ruby on Rails stuff was in the Singapore community. Um, I worked for a couple of startups out there, including one where I raised money um, and did like a travel startup for myself. Um, and it was about 2009 and we were having our Christmas Ruby meetup. And I was sort of, at that time, there were loads of sort of regional conferences in the US. And obviously, Singapore's on the wrong side of the world to get to the US for a conference. Um, and so and Japan had Ruby Kaigi. Um, and I was, so I said to, the, said to the people around, I was like, you know, we should definitely do a conference. And everyone was like, yeah, Andy, you totally should do a conference. And I said, well, who should we get to come? And they were like, well, we should invite Matt. I mean, Japan's not that far away. And so I emailed Matt um, and then he got back to me and said he would come. And so it's all his fault because uh, I then had to organize a conference. <laughs> um, I told him this at Paris Hobby when I saw him again. And he said, you use the word fault. Ah. <laughs> so that was great. Um, so I ran that uh, for two or three years. Um, and then when I got back to the UK, um, I moved to Brighton. So I didn't want to live in London anymore. Um, I moved to Brighton and decided a quick way to meet people doing the sort of work that I would be interested in getting a job in would be to parlay my conference organizing inverted commas expertise into having an event in Brighton. So I put on something for a hundred and something people the first year. And, uh, and that was seven years ago. Um, and it's, it's sort of working out all right, I think. Wow, that's amazing. So how many years has Brighton Ruby been going on then? So first one was 2014, um, 2014? Yes, 2014. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in the seventh year of organization of conferences, although things have not exactly gone to plan this year. Yes, yes. So speaking of a topic that cannot be avoided, due to COVID-19, you had to cancel the in-person experience for Brighton Ruby 2020. So could you please walk me through that decision? <laughs> so. I may not really have been paying attention very much. Um, I woke up a couple of weeks ago, um, having sort of, I, I'd opened the CFP about a month ago. Um, they call for papers to get, um, I, I have a proportion of invited speakers. So generally I invite the normal speakers, the, the sort of the speakers I've seen speak elsewhere who I'd like to get over um, or repeat speakers who I'd like to have back. And then I open a, um, a call for papers to have people to submit their own talks and sort of get new people into the into the speaking game, as it, as it were. Um, and I was sort of well into that, and I was reviewing talks whilst my kids were at um, a sports thing on the on the Saturday morning. And uh, I woke up the, the morning afterwards and went, oh, oh, I might have to deal with this. This is, a, this is genuinely a thing, isn't it? Um, and this is probably, yeah, beginning of March time. Um, so yeah, like it was, suddenly, oh, I'm going to have to deal with this. What am I going to do? Um, and that was, that was my first sort of paralyzing thought. And I sort of thought about that for a bit. Um, and then I got in touch with the sponsors and the speakers and said, just to let you all know, I'm aware of this. I don't know what I'm doing yet. Let's see what happens. Um, as we know, speaking today, stuff has happened. Lots of stuff has been canceled. Um, in fact, the morning I canceled Brighton Ruby, um, RailsConf also cancelled and Apple came out with WWDC being cancelled. So I was in good company that Friday. Um, but yeah, 
I did. I had sort of. I sort of knew two or three days before, and I turned ticket sales off uh, a couple of days before that. Um, whilst I sort of rounded the wagons and worked out what the hell it was I was going to do, because um, I didn't want to just go cancel it and not have a plan. Um, I like to have a plan. Uh, I, I run Brighton Ruby entirely by myself, um, with obviously some help on the day, and the venue um, have always been really great. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very much a a, a solo effort. So I needed to, to sort of bounce ideas off the people who I normally bounce ideas off. Uh, friends of mine like uh, Tekin and Nadia and the and the sponsors, and um, work out what it what it was I was going to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm I'm having a a not a conference or a alternative conference or a sort of weird quasi conference. Um, I am not a fan of online events typically particularly the kind where I end up having to run another massive slack um, or where you have to be in position at a certain time. Um, so all, you know, that's great. I personally don't like that. I feel like a big part of Brighton Ruby is the in-person stuff and the hallway track and was obviously, obviously the talks are great. There is an element of coming together in community spirit and obviously that can't happen this year. So I've focused a little bit more on the content side of things. Um, so I'm going to, I've cleared this with all the speakers. So they're going to do versions of their talks as videos, which we will then sell. Um, and uh, there's also the swag that I was going to do was, uh, so I'm working with my friend Emma, who works uh, works for a book publishing technology company. Um, and we are reprinting a paperback of Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby, um, which for longer term Rubyists will fill their heart with joy and for newer Rubyists will make them go, what? But it was, uh, so I like to do with my swag every year, I like to have a um, a surprise. So last year it was like uh, reusable coffee cups. Um, so I said I, need, I ordered 400 coffee cups. And this year I'm going to get hundreds of books printed. So that's fun. Um, so we're going to print a copy of this book and send it out in the post. And then so the, the talks will come out, the book will be posted to you. And uh, then there'll be an opportunity for people to ask questions of the speakers. And then I'm going to do what you're doing now, which is politely be quiet even though you probably want to jump in all the time and listen to what the speakers have to say about questions that from the audience or questions that I've got about their talks um, or about them in general. So yeah, I'm going into competition with you, Brittany. Sorry. Oh, no, that's great. I have so many follow-ups on that. Number one, I absolutely wanted one of those books. So as soon as those are available, I'm definitely purchasing one because you're right. You are going to delight the Ruby community over that one. So quite clever. Um, second, I just wanted to make it clear. So essentially, you're going to have the speakers record their talks. You'll probably review them and make sure that they're all in a similar type format. And then, you know, audience members will be able to purchase them and be able to interact with the speakers. Yeah. So, I mean, through me, um, I'm, I, I'm a benevolent dictator when it comes to my conference. So we don't have any questions at Brighton Ruby um, because there's always the person who puts their hand up, stands up and says, this is not really a question more of a comment really um which is not really the point um so we've always had the speakers hang around so if you want to talk to them about the stuff that they've talked about please feel free um and to sort of replace that part of the conference experience i'm going to get i'm going to release the videos ahead of time so they'll be released probably early june um is my plan right now and then we will do the podcasts starting to be released in July around the time that the conference would have been otherwise. So there'll be like a month for people to watch somewhere at their leisure, the, the videos. And then there'll be a sort of a private podcast where I do the interviews with the people 
and find out, you know, expand their thoughts or get into a particular area. Um, and yeah, hopefully that will replicate some of that uh, feeling of interaction. No, that's all an excellent idea. And absolutely, I want more people to compete with me because the more Ruby content out there, the better. Though I think you've touched upon this before, but Bright and Ruby isn't all about Ruby, correct? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, most, it's, you know, it's Bright and Ruby, so it very much does what it says on the tin. Um, but it's, I think this is a thing about Ruby conferences in general, and certainly of the, uh, the wider community. There is a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Ruby uh, influenced technology. So there's something about the Ruby language that encourages people to think wider or to think wider about their own lifestyles or the things that they're thinking or the work that they're doing. Um, I think it comes somewhat from Matt's, you know, he, he, it's meant to bring joy, uh, the language. So and there's something about that in that we take that into other areas. So if you look at the Ruby derived languages, um, which is ironic given that Ruby is sort of a hodgepodge of lots of other scripting languages from the past, that bits that Matt's liked. Um, but you've got things like Elixir and there's very much a sense of that community has some Ruby flavor to it. Um, and if you look at sort of even companies that have mostly sprung from Ruby, so things like GitHub or Heroku, there's, there's, there's like an intangible Ruby-ishness to them. Um, and that's something that I sort of feature in some of the talks. So the talks are, and the, the talks are not exclusively about, uh, not about Ruby, but they are wider than that. And they encourage us to think about the job that we're doing and the place that we have in society or ways that we attack the problems that we try and do every day. Um, so, you know, you get talks about, uh, Sarah May's given several excellent talks that we've got the videos of on the site where she talks about um, how, how people structure teams um, or we might get something about how you find a job as a developer or we might get something as uh, my experience as a junior coming into this community. Um, so yeah, we, we try and cast a wider net um, and I've done other stuff like we've had a game. There's a game show, uh, just a minute that um, got carried over to the US Ruby conferences and we've had live music performances and we've had stand up. So I always try and like add something a little bit fun. That's a bit different. That's awesome. I think that's so great. So I did want to get your opinion on this. How do you think the decisions coming from COVID-19 will affect conferences for the long haul? I mean, I don't know because I am not a doctor. Um, but nothing can, for me, nothing can replace the, the brilliant day that we all have when people come to Brighton. And it's, I deliberately have it in July, so it's nice and sunny. And Brighton as a town is a great place to come and hang out and eat um, and meet people. And to a certain extent, when I started Brighton Ruby, it was very much, it was slightly selfish. Like I needed to meet a lot of Rubyists so that I wouldn't be out of work. Um, but the last few years, like, that's not an issue anymore. Like, that was an issue the first couple of years I moved back to the UK. But now it's much more of a, I'm, I'm aware I have some sort of community role. So I keep running it, even though it's really hard. Um, so there is a point that, so there is a point to it happening in person. Um, for conferences online, they don't work for me so much. Like, I don't, they don't have the same thing. Um, and my sort of downloads folder definitely tells you that there are a load of conference talks that I want to watch that I haven't got around to yet. Um, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. It's really tough. I'm super glad that A, I try and do it very economically. So I'm personally not too far in debt at the moment. Um, I am a bit, but not too far. Um, and also that I, that's not my main job. My, my main job is as a working software engineer leading a small team here at Coverage Book. So for event focused companies, like the problems that the Ruby Central folk have, they're just an order of magnitude, A, more complicated and B, more difficult than what I have to deal with. I mean, for me, it's several thousands of pounds, but it's not insurmountable um, because of the deliberate small scale that I operate at and it's my side gig for companies that are purely event focused it's frankly it's a really difficult and uncertain time and none of us really know like it's still way too early to see what's happening to societally let alone with getting lots of people in a room together I completely agree I was out for a run with my boss last week and I posed the same question to him and he said because he's a father of four young boys he just cannot imagine a world where he could do a conference entirely online and be truly unplugged and be able to access that hallway track. And it might be just a prompting to the community that we can do better around that, but it's going to be certainly hard until we get to that, you know, maybe virtual reality situation, or I'm, I'm really not sure, but it, it's going to be hard to replicate, but I think we're all going to have to be forced to learn. Yeah. I mean, if I can expense an Oculus Rift or something, then I'm all for that. But um, otherwise I don't know. I just genuinely don't know. Well, I am excited to keep an eye on Brighton and see what how this solution comes out. And I do hope that uh, maybe you'll even come back onto the podcast and let us know how it went because it's. I think it's great that you're not just canceling it and leaving it at that and kind of shrugging your shoulders. You are giving a platform for those speakers to be able to share the amazing content that they want to share. Yeah, I mean, I, frankly, I don't really have the option to fully cancel. Um, it's it's so I I. I the main reason I'm cancelling now is partially because A, it seems like the right thing to do. B, it's my conference is far enough into the future for me that cancelling now means I am ahead of a lot of my costs. Um, so a lot of the costs were about to start to be impacted. So like booking people's travel, hotels, extra, like further costs on just the deposit for the venue, but the, you know, the full, full, thing, uh, full costs of the venue. Um, so it's, there is a financial element to me continuing to run it for me personally, but um, it's also, I just think it will be a real shame if there's nothing. Um, and although we will all miss each other, um, you know, it's very much become a place that the UK Ruby community come and hang out for a couple of days, even though the conference is only a day. Um, so yeah, there is a financial imperative for me, but it's, I just want there to be something. I don't want there to be a year without Brian Ruby. You know, I said in the in the email that I sent out to all the all the attendees, I said, look, I don't want to cancel it because I'm going to miss it. Although it is really hard work, but like I will miss it. So I, I want there to be something and there to be something tangible that people can take away. So hence the hence the swag in an envelope as well as the um, the videos and the podcast. That's awesome. So while sitting between talks at Paris RB, you shared some thoughts with me on how you make your own conference talks interesting to listeners. Can you please share some of your advice for the audience? Uh, do you mean my personal conference talks that I give? Right, okay. So first of all, I try and be brief and I encourage that in all of my speakers. Um, typically I've had 20 minute talks at Brighton Ruby. Uh, the talks at the US conferences tend to be have a sort of 40 minute allotted period. And unless you are really punchy and in it 
terrific deliverer of talks, 40 minutes can be a long time. Like it can be a long time for the speaker. So I keep it short as much as I can. Um, I also recently have been playing around with sound. So I gave a talk um, 2016. I gave a talk that was a, a, I was picked out of the CFP to keynote RubyConf, which was amazing and absolutely terrifying as you're sort of stood there in front of 900 people, including Matt's and Aaron Patterson and you know, all these people who you look up to in the Ruby community. Um, and they're sort of sat there waiting for you to say stuff. That's quite scary. Um, but one of the things I did in that talk was um, I included audio from outside. So I had someone else read, a, it was a quote from a person. And thankfully it was this philosopher who'd recorded a bunch of stuff in the seventies. So I was able to play him reading out his own philosophy. Um, and that worked really well in that talk. And so a subsequent talk that I've given, I got various friends of mine to record little radio plays to illustrate points that I was making. Um, and so for me, that's really good because I don't want to listen to myself talk for half an hour. Apologies to those of you who are currently listening to me talk for half an hour on a podcast. But I wanted to break it up. It gives me a chance to have a drink in a natural way without it feeling quiet. Um, I really focus on my slides. Um, but yeah, it's it's a case of practicing and finding out something that works for you. Like there are people like Nick Means who do an amazing job of like a sort of almost an NPRist documentary style storytelling thing. Um, and there are people who live code spectacularly or they don't live code, but they really unpack a problem like um, Sandy Metz or Katrina Owens. Like there's all sorts of different ways to attack it. And in talking to people often after Brighton Ruby, and sort of unpacking everyone's processes, everyone's is completely different. Like if someone tells you this is how you give a conference talk, they are wrong because it's very, very different for everybody. And it, because it has to reflect your personality. You have to come through in your talk and deliver your story in your way um, and find an interesting way or just a comp, like the best thing you can do is practice so that you're confident in the material and that you're delivering something that you know about. And the crowd want you to do well, like, in any sort of talk, like people are willing you to do well because it's quite a scary experience. But the best thing you can do is practice, have an opinion, and then try and do something that keeps you engaged as you give it and the audience engaged as they're listening. Well, that advice certainly comes across in your talks. So this next question might be flavored based on the reaction that you got from all the future attendees of Brighton. But what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities? Well, I mean, obviously Ruby's dead, isn't it? I mean, we all know this. We should all be looking for other jobs. Um, uh, we should all be programming in Haskell. Uh, I mean, it's, for me, it's like Ruby is well-established. Rails is incredibly well-established. There are big companies using Ruby and using Rails. And there are companies using Ruby in places you wouldn't expect. Like often I'll find people will come to the conference and they'll be like, oh yeah, we do a bit of Ruby. We mostly use it for DevOps. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. Um, and then you've got traditional small company base campy sized things like you know coverage book here in Brighton or you know various other stuff in the UK that's similar relatively small tech teams uh, trying to build something where having one big code base that does most of the stuff and has great tooling and is always being approved um, is really useful um, so I think it's great I think there's a sense in which the Ruby community also brings people back so I know people who don't do Ruby anymore who come to Brian Ruby or who go to their local Ruby meetup because there's something about the community and the Rubyishness of us all that makes a big difference. Um, 
I've been to sort of JavaScript conferences and I've been to uh, Elixir conferences, and it's just a different feel. Even like in a language like Elixir, which is um, very Ruby, it comes from it comes from the Ruby community to a certain extent. Um, there's just a different take. Like there's something about the talks you get at a Ruby conference. Like they are wider. They are trying to take in a bit more of the world. Um, but it's still a manageable size. So, frankly, if the job I'm currently doing goes away, there's enough. Now there's been 10 years of Ruby on Rails being the, the hot thing for startups. There are enough broken old Rails apps that that will take me to my retirement, I would imagine. Um, so it feels like there's a bunch of us around this sort of the, the excitable new shiny folk have gone off to new things. Um, the This is the default because it's the one making all the noise. Those people have gone off to do React or Vue or whatever JavaScripty thing. Um, and what's left is a bunch of people who really love working in the language. I mean, DHH can, you know, he can wax lyrical about his um, adoration for the language and how happy it makes him feel when he works it. And I very much empathize with that. Like, that's how it feels to me. Um, I can be incredibly elegant and eloquent in Ruby in a way that I can't be in, in natural life. <laughs> so so that's that, that works for me, makes me feel cool. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a great place to be and the tooling and it just all feels the right size in a manageable human scale language for me. So yeah, that's what it comes down to. That's great. And thank you so much for sharing that. So how can listeners follow you? I am uh, Andy Kroll on Twitter. Um, I have, if you type Brighton Ruby in, you'll find the Brighton Ruby website. And by the time you listen to this, probably the website for the new alternative Brighton Ruby, um, and I have a newsletter. Uh, every two weeks, I write a piece of programming knowledge, I suppose, um, with why you might use it and why you might not use it. And I keep it to a very narrow thing. And I've been managing to uh, write that every two weeks ish for the last year and a half to force me to blog. So um, yeah, that's that. That seems to be going down well. So yeah, so one Ruby thing, Andy Kroll or Brian Ruby, pretty much. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today to give us an honest take as a conference organizer in these really crazy times. And <laughs> I really do appreciate it. And listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll be with you next week.